Good morning, Newcom. It's so good to be with you today. Um, I've enjoyed our, our worship, um, just so powerful. Um, let's continue our worship today by um, reading some scripture together. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of the gospel. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to give you a little background on the Gospel of Mark before we look into further detail in today's passage in order to give you a big picture and context of what Jesus is doing and teaching. The focus on Mark's gospel is on the ministry of Jesus as he travels from place to place doing miraculous works that demonstrate that he has power and authority over nature, sickness, sin and death. And in this gospel, we see a Jesus that is clearly powerful and able to heal people's diseases, bring back to life those who have died. And in our passage, his miraculous power produces something great from something small. Throughout the gospel, we see that Jesus' demonstrations of power are always in the context of serving others. In fact, Jesus demonstrates throughout that he is the Messiah, yes, but that as Messiah, he is also the suffering servant and that his reign is expressed in service and sacrifice. Mark 10.45 perhaps best encapsulates the message of Mark, and it is that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The kingdom of God inaugurated and Jesus' coming is characterized not by power and dominion, um, but it's one, uh, an authority that claims for itself um, humility and service instead of preeminence and dominance. 
Jesus demonstrates by and in his ministry that the kingdom of God is really like. And what we find is that what the kingdom of God is really like is a world that has been turned upside down. Jesus takes care of the poor, the sick, the hungry, and not only that, he ministers to Gentiles as he crosses borders in his travels. The kingdom of God is expansive, and there's so much that the disciples have to learn. So, now we're back to our passage. Jesus' ministry is in full swing, and the chapter begins a section in which Jesus is going to start revealing himself to the, to the disciples in order to form them to be able to do ministry. And as they follow Jesus, they're encountering people with many different needs, people who are suffering, uh, people who are going through different, difficult times. And what the disciples figure out, have to figure out is how to stop centering themselves and how to first look to Jesus. And so in our passage, we learned that there's three ways that we can respond to times of uncertainty, times of uncertainty or trouble. One, we trust in Jesus because he is good. Two, we remember the faithfulness and generosity of God in our lives. And three, we entrust ourselves to Jesus. And in doing so, we participate in his kingdom. All right. So the first few verses in our passage describe how after a busy period of ministry, Jesus wants some time away with the disciples. And he wants to get away to get some rest. And so they get on a boat, and um, before they get to their location, the crowd sees where they're going, and when they get there, there's a huge crowd that's already uh, waiting for them. Now, Jesus and his disciples have been traveling, they've been doing ministry, they haven't had any chance to eat. And so it would be understandable if Jesus were annoyed or if he were frustrated. Um, and so what we see instead is that he does something very different. He doesn't express that he wants just to be left alone. But what he does is that he has compassion for them. And the word that's used here for compassion is a really specific word that's like for this gut-wrenching um, emotion. It's, it's a compassion that deeply moves you. It's in your entrails. And the reason why Jesus is deeply moved is because he sees that the people are like sheep without a shepherd. They've come all this way to hear him. And so he does that. He's a good shepherd to them. He shows concern and he guides them as he teaches them for a while. And we see that um, he could have put them off and said, can you come back another day? He could have taught them for a little while and then sent them on, on their way. But instead, he takes time with them. He sits with them. He teaches them. And he gives them what they need. They've come to hear him teach. So it's in, this, in these first few verses that we start to see the character of Jesus and who he is. And when he performs this miracle that we're going to see in just a little bit, we see that he is someone who is wanting to, to fulfill a need that he's going to um, fulfill a need that they have as well. And he has this past, right? We're in chapter 6, and up to this point, he's healed a paralyzed man. 
Um, he's healed a man with a withering hand, um, sick people with um, diseases. Um, and so we see that Jesus um, in these situations isn't saying, I'm going to perform a miracle so that you can check it out so you can see who I am. But rather, he's doing these miracles as a way to serve people, as a way to love people. Yes, it shows that he has authority, that he has power, um, and, and that he is um, God. But what these miracles show ultimately is that Jesus is here for our good, that Jesus wills our good. And folks, the God we worship is a compassionate and good God. And we are living in some really difficult and turbulent times. And this is the truth that we need to internalize. We worship a good and compassionate God. And that is the savior that we worship. Um, we're living through these really chaotic times. We're always hearing new stories about the failures of the North American church and its leadership. Um, we're always... Um, having to encounter racism and racial injustice, and it never lets up. Um, we see that there are um, political polarizations, economic anxieties, global crises, as our sister Constance just talked about. And we're seeing all of this in the midst of a pandemic. And so when we find ourselves troubled, when we find ourselves with this anxiety, we can be sure that it's that same Jesus that performed those miracles because he felt compassion for them, because he saw them, because he saw their need. We can see that this same God is going to work in our lives. He is trustworthy, my friends. He is a good shepherd who looks after us, and he will not let you down. He will not disappoint. We can trust Jesus because he is good. We can trust Jesus because he is good. And that's exactly why the crowd in this passage is so attracted to Jesus to the point of following him all over the place. And in fact, the word that's used there for um, him being followed around is that they are committed following him around. I mean, they are stuck to him like glue for three days. And that's because there's something different about him. He teaches with wisdom and authority, and he demonstrates true concern for people. And not only is Jesus responsive to their spiritual needs, but he is also responsive to their physical needs. And we'll see that in the next few verses as well. So Jesus has been teaching for a while, and now it's time for the evening meal. And the disciples told Jesus, look, it's getting late. We're in a desolate area, so why don't you let the people go so that they can get, go get something to eat? And Jesus decides to use this as a discipleship opportunity. And he catches them off guard when he says, you give them something to eat. And so instead of admitting that they don't really know what to do, why don't you give us a hand with this, Jesus? The disciples instead make up an excuse. We don't have that kind of money. That's a response. It's an excuse. And does that sound familiar? It does to me. God is asking you to do something. And instead of admitting, I don't really know how to do this, God. I need you to help me. It's really easy to come up with excuses instead. You know, this is not really a good idea. And I can tell you all the reasons why, God. And so here, Jesus asked them a question that I think he ultimately asks all of us. How many loaves do you have? 
And Jesus uses the resources available to them. They're small and inadequate. There's a lot of people. Um, But he does something with these few resources to show them that they can trust him to provide. And the disciples collected five loaves and two fishes, and Jesus feeds a crowd of 5,000. And there are also 12 baskets full of leftovers. And so we see that God's provision, God's faithfulness and generosity are revealed in this miracle. And it's an example of what the reign of God is all about. Jesus, the Messiah, is able to do great things from small things. God turns our world upside down and he surprises and challenges our expectations. The miracles of Jesus reveal the true nature of the kingdom. I love how historian and theologian Justo Gonzalez describes a miracle. He says, quote, a miracle is not an interruption of an order, but rather the eruption of the true order, the order of the creator God. A miracle is an announcement that the new order is at hand, that ultimately power belongs to the God of creation, of true order, freedom, and justice. The miracles of Jesus in the gospel are not just a validation of his mission and his teaching, they embody and are part of the good news, end quote. And so we see that the miracles of Jesus are not interruptions of the laws of nature. That's how we might think about them. But rather, the miracles of Jesus are an eruption of the new creation. It's the new creation, the kingdom of God, piercing through our world. That's what those miracles tell us. And so what we see here is that we get a glimpse of God's shalom, a new order in which God reigns and in which there is no sickness or sin or death, a new creation that's characterized by well-being and peace, where everyone can flourish just the way that God intended. So we see in this passage that Jesus now provides for the physical needs of a hungry crowd. And the problem is that the disciples miss their opportunity to confess their inability and ask Jesus for help. And yet, the disciples had witnessed a lot of miracles up to this point, and by itself, it's a missed opportunity, and it's lamentable. But the thing is, is that it happens again. And we're not going to read this passage today, but if you go uh, forward two chapters, Jesus and disciples get on a boat, and they cross over to the east side of the Sea of Galilee to Decapolis, and that's a Gentile area. And Jesus is expanding his ministry, and he's doing the unexpected and crossing not only geographical but religious um, boundaries as well. And there, Jesus feeds 4,000 people. And now, the two accounts are really similar. Um, They're in a remote area in the wilderness. Um, Jesus feeds a lot of people with very few um, amount of bread, But in this chapter, Jesus has compassion for the people because they're hungry. They're not wanting his teaching. They're just hungry, right? And they've been with him for a few days, like I said, and they've run out of food. And Jesus expresses his concern for them. If we don't feed them, they're going to pass out on their way home. And 
You know, the disciples, they respond again with uncertainty. Where are we going to find food out here? There's nowhere to, there's nowhere to get food over here. Um, and so we see that Jesus asked them again, how many loaves do you have? And this time they have seven and a few fish. And like before, Jesus multiplies and provides for everyone with leftovers to spare. But unfortunately, the disciples here, they don't remember. They don't remember what happened in the recent past with the feeding of the 5,000. And not only that, but friends, they know the story of the Exodus where there are people walking in the wilderness with nothing to eat. And God provides people with manna. And so the disciples find themselves in really similar circumstances as the people of their, of the, of their people and their history. And so you can say that maybe they're suffering from a case of spiritual amnesia. Um, and so we can learn from them and instead practice remembering the faithfulness and generosity of God in our lives. We can remember the faithfulness and generosity of God in our lives. In feeding the 5,000 people in the wilderness of Galilee, and then in the 4,000 um, in the Gentile territory, Jesus is showing us that he has the same God who saved his people with the gift of manna in the book of Exodus, as they're traveling through the wilderness, um, same God who fed 5,000 people, 4,000 people, God does not change. And that God showed up and kept his promises then. So this is the same God who will show up and look after his people now. We can look to God when we find ourselves in challenging situations. We don't need to make excuses because ultimately excuses are really disbelief. And so later in this passage in chapter 8, after the, the people have been fed, Jesus and the disciples get back on a boat, and they're going to head out. Um, and when the disciples get in the boat, they realize um, that they only have one small loaf of bread with them. It's probably the size that could feed just one person. And they're embarrassed, and so they start arguing amongst themselves. Um, you know, whose fault is it? What are we going to do? And so again, Jesus has to intervene. And so we're starting here with verse uh, 17. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, Seven, he said to them, do you still not understand? And in many ways, we too can be like the disciples, and their lack of understanding is instructive for us. When we find ourselves without resources to fix a problem, or we're in a place where it's difficult to find a solution, we can remember that God has helped us before. We can avoid spiritual amnesia as we want trust in the character of Jesus because Jesus is good. And two, we can reflect on God's faithfulness to us in the past. So as we face another surge and we brace ourselves for another wave of the pandemic, let us not waffle in doubt or waver in our faith. 
but rather remember the goodness of God to newcome in our seasons of vulnerability, loneliness, and need. How did God show up then? As a church body, we're also in a transition right now with a lot of uncertainty and unknown variables. But we have witnessed the faithfulness of God through many different seasons. When Pastor Peter was out on sabbatical, God was with us. When we had to close the building as a result of the pandemic, God provided a way for us to keep going. The testimonies we heard three weeks ago about lessons learned, the ways that God showed up through the love and support of sisters and brothers, oof, they were so good to hear. Um, James, I don't know where you are, but you had me crying. <laughs> Tears of gratitude. Um, and as we prepare ourselves for what's up ahead, because we're, we're entering a new difficult season, let us remember what God has done for us, what God has done for us personally, what God has done for us in our families, but what God has done for Newcom as well. We have so much to be thankful for. So we can reflect on the faithfulness of God to us not only in our recent past, but also like the disciples had an opportunity to remember in their cultural and spiritual heritage. The disciples not only had personal experiences with Jesus, right, what Jesus has provided for them, but they also had a history and a legacy of God's faithfulness and abundance to the people of Israel for, like, for generations. Their spiritual amnesia applied not just to what they had personally forgotten, um, but to the spiritual legacy of Israel. So sisters and brothers, as a diverse, multi-ethnic body, we are incredibly blessed to have rich stories of God's faithfulness to the different peoples represented here. God has shown up in miraculous, gracious, generous, and beautiful ways in each of our racial and ethnic histories that make up our church. And we are so much better off when we remember them. We have these treasures that God has shown us when he has showed up powerfully um, in our communities in completely unexpected ways. We have a lot to share about the ways that God has provided our families, cornbread, rice, naan, pan y tortillas, bread, you get the point, right? And this is in both physical and metaphorical ways. I realize that whatever our racial and ethnic backgrounds may be, we all have some spiritual and theological deconstructing to do. But we don't have to rid ourselves of the legacies that are our birthrights. And we all now share in those collectively. This is the family. These are the resources that God has given us as we have been knitted together by the Spirit. And it's hard to say, right? But some of our histories have been erased or forgotten. Um, but to the degree that they can be learned and preserved, these will help us in difficult times to remember that the triune God showed up and walked with us in difficult seasons of darkness and in need of our current situations. We can come to a point and say, this, what I'm experiencing right now, my community knows this. My community has taught me that the Father will protect me 
that Jesus will always provide, that the Spirit will help me to keep on going, right? That's what the disciples could have done in that moment. Ah, we're in the wilderness and we're hungry. Didn't God provide for us in the past, right? We, they, they had that as, as, as um, a resource for them. And so we learn from their missed opportunities and we remember, we honor God's grace, faithfulness, and generosity throughout time and space when we remember that God has been faithful to us as he showed up in small and big ways as our communities survived in human um, and inhumane systems built on enslavement, internment camps, unlawful deportations, exploitations of every sort, war and hunger, and so much more. We proclaim God's goodness because we are here and we live in the reality of God's reign now of what will be fulfilled in the future. I'm thinking about when I was little, um, my family uh, used to go down to see my grandparents in Mexico a couple times a year. And uh, we would usually leave in the morning and get there right before, um, or not even not before, right around dinner time, a late dinner. And when we got there, my grandma always had this plate of um, food for us and freshly made tortillas. And it was something that we looked forward to. One of my favorites was chicken soup with tortillas and a little bit of salsa. Oh, that just like hit the spot. We got there, we were home, right? And I used to just really love this provision, right, of food when we got there. But when I got older, I started to realize that there is quite a bit of distance from field to the table. And that I was enjoying the benefits of having this food, right? Felt provided for, felt cared for. But before that, what I didn't see were those times of drought where my grandparents didn't know if they were farmers, so they didn't know what was gonna happen to the crops. Those times when the locusts came and ate a whole bunch of the crop, they didn't know what was gonna happen. Or when they couldn't sell their corn because the market had been artificially flooded with corn, right? I didn't see those things until I was older. And as I got older and I started to hear about some of these things, eating, right, those tortillas with corn and flour, handmade, so good, I started to realize there's a lot of backstory to this provision. And what I saw with them, with my grandparents, is that they were trusting in God because in those situations, there's nothing that you can do. You just have to trust that God is going to be the one who's going to provide. And in that, I saw this stability, this steadfastness. God is going to provide. We're not seeing any rain right now, but it'll come. We're not sure, right, how much crop we're gonna get this year, but we'll be okay. We're not able to sell our corn right now because of the way things are in the market, but we can do something with it, right? Those small and constant, steady um, steps of just living in faith were so helpful to me, right? So helpful to me. So I wanna ask you, how has God worked in your family or your culture's history in your own life, in our collective life together at Newcom? 
What has God done that we can remember and celebrate together? As we reflect on God's help in our times of need, God's making a way out of no way. God is making the impossible possible. In today's passages, in today's passage, we recognize that we have something to learn, not only from Jesus, that we can trust him because he is a good shepherd, and not only from the disciples, that we should remember the faithfulness and the generosity of God in our lives and in the past, but we can also learn something from the crowd as well. The crowd is hungry, and from what they can tell, there's not a place where they can go buy their food. Um, so when they get asked for the loaves, the interesting thing is they hand them over. They give them over. And they trust Jesus because he doesn't disappoint. The people give their bread and everyone benefits. Jesus asks, how many loaves do you have? And he can take our small loaves, our dire situations, and produce beyond what we can imagine. So how many loaves do we have, Newcom? What loaves of finances, time and energy, gifts and talents, emotions and passions do we have here? As we find ourselves in this season of wilderness, are we willing to give them over to Jesus to see what he'll do with them? Can we hand those over, not with a little bit of fear and trepidation, but with eager anticipation about what God is going to do with those? And we see that when the crowd responds to Jesus' question, how many lows do you have? This is really an invitation, Right? They're sharing their food, and not only does everyone eat until they are full, but Jesus provides in abundance. The way of the kingdom of God is not a zero-sum game where there are some people who are winners at the expense of those who are losers, right, or who lose out. When we share our loaves, everyone gets fed. There is enough and more for everyone now, obviously, not everyone has something to give all the time, right? There were only five loaves. But there's a willingness to share and to give up for the possibility of something that's better. So I ask you again, you come, how many loaves do we have? We've seen Jesus feed and sustain us in the past. What are our loaves? What are the gifts and passions that God has given you to share with us, with the whole body? If you're not sure whether you really have anything to give, just remember that God is able to produce something great with a little something. And God is able to use our contributions, whatever they might be, and to do something significant. Abundance can come from our offerings, however small they are. So as we close... We are reminded by scripture that the shepherd who has over and over again shown up is worthy of our trust. And he is asking you, he is asking me, he is asking us to consider how many loaves do we have? And as we enter another school year, another season of uncertainty and perhaps confusion, 
Jesus' invitation to give him our loaves is an opportunity for us to see the eruption of the reign of God in our lives that we can't even imagine, but that we can wait for with hopeful expectation. We can look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is faithful. He will provide. He will walk with us. And in the process, may we grow in our trust of him and in our gratitude for all that he's done for us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we know you are our good shepherd. We know that you take care of us, both when we lie in green pastures and when you walk with us through the dark hours. We are so grateful that we can trust you in all things and rest in the fact that you will our good, no matter how much we may be tempted to believe otherwise. Help us open our eyes and may your spirit stir in us a hopeful expectation to see those eruptions of your reign in the midst of all that we live and experience. Help us to grow in our trust of you as we gladly and with wide-eyed expectation give over our few loaves and fishes for your glory and our neighbor's good. Amen.